You're listening to Faithful Adaptation, an audio series produced by Luther Seminary's Faith Lead, a connection hub for current and emerging faith leaders curious about big ideas and breakthrough practices for ministry. In this episode, recorded April 23, 2020, Beverly Wallace takes a closer look at death, distance, and resurrection. Interestingly enough, I wrote a piece for not Luther Seminary, but for Trinity Lutheran Seminary, um, and it was entitled An Ode to Change, and I used that as a beginning piece um, in tribute to um, a professor, a retired, um, now deceased professor and former bishop of the Lutheran Church, um, Dr. Nelson Trout, um, to talk about change, um, recognizing that it was, he was born just a few years after the last pandemic of our, 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 our time. Um, and so this is a perfect time to talk about change because indeed everything must change and nothing stays the same. The young does become the old and mysteries do unfold as was part of the, um, the, the scripture verse that we use. Um, there are not many things, I like this verse, there are not many things in life you can be sure of except. And so you can come up with a whole list of things that, um, that um, we are certain of, but there's lots of things that we are not certain of and everything must change. Um, and with that, mysteries do unfold. So I greet you. I am Dr. Beverly Wallace, as I was introduced. Um, new professor here at Luther Seminary, first year here. And indeed for me, things have changed as well. And so I'm delighted to talk with you, walk with you as we talk about death, a topic that oftentimes we do not like to talk about. Mm. Um, we don't talk about it because um, sometimes I don't think that we understand that. Um, even though I don't know how many of you are here um, are Lutheran, I am in fact a Lutheran, um, Luther has talked a lot about death. Luther talked about um, his, he has a theology of death um, and he talked about um, what it meant to think about, walk through, live through death because he was writing right after another plague, the bubonic plague, where um, people were talking about the veil of tears. Um, the church had developed their own art of dying, at, which pointed Christians to Christ who was life and in Christ they could rest securely. Okay. So that was that's an undertone of how we think about death or we sh could be thinking about death um, with our theology. Martin Luther opened his house for the sake during that period of time and he wrote um, a sermon called Preparing to Die where he said, seek yourself only in Christ and not in yourself and you will find yourself with him eternally. By faith, the Christian is made the victor over sin. Does this sound familiar? We just read um, a piece. Christians are made the victor over sin, over the law and over death, so that not even the gates of hell prevail against him. And so we have this theology, but we also have a theodicy um, trying to understand 
what's going on and attempt to justify or even defend God in the face of evil or suffering. Um, so what I'm suggesting is that one, we need to understand our own theology. What is our theology around death and dying, grief and loss? And what have we embraced as our attempt to justify or defend God in the face of evil or suffering? So there's different types of theology, the predestination, dualism, karma, um, where we're saying God is holy, holy um, has a holy motive. God made everything but sin, except, um, and except sin crept in, but we have free will. Um, and then the third one, sin exists in the absence of God. And so as we think about death, oftentimes, especially when there is an uncertain, um, a sudden death or unpredictable death, we try to make sense. And so we come up with our understanding about where is God? Um, where, what's going on? Why is something happening um, where someone that we've loved has passed away? Part of it is because there is an unknowingness of death, you know, and we're trying to make sense out of death. You don't realize this, most of you who are pastors or leaders, you are, have been death doulas. You have been um, walking with people um, on this trajectory of life. If you can go back to the, the last slide, um, one more, the other way, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, we have not connected that that um, the part of the work that we have is to walk with people through death, but oftentimes we don't understand death. We don't um, have a clear language for death. Um, oftentimes we're afraid to talk about death. We see death as loss, and so it's easier to talk about loss rather than use the term death. Um, even during this period of the pandemic, I've heard someone said, this is a period of darkness. Um, this is how we understand death. And so with that thinking about the language of death, we see it as something that's to be afraid of. You know, you're afraid of the dark. You're afraid of what is to happen yet we say that death doesn't have a sting. We say that death, um, we have victory over death. Yes, there is a sting and there's a reason for this thing, but it does not necessarily have to consume us, especially if we think through our theology of death. If we think that death is part of the circle of life and to embrace the full circle of life, to embrace the idea that there is change um, then we might have a different understanding of death. Yeah. There's a recognition that every, every loss is connected to another loss. And so that's something we have to recognize too as we think about death. Um, how do we embrace the unknowing? How do we embrace something that we... Um, don't have words to articulate because we've not experienced the death. 
this is something for you to think about. Our grief um, over things, when we, we grieve the loss of someone, it's an affirmation of our linkage with the whole of creation that God has, been, has given to us as a sacred trust. To be human is to be a griever of all kinds of losses. And so we do grieve um, because there is a loss. But my hope is that we won't get paralyzed by that loss if, and especially when we think of um, the circle of life, the beauty of life, and um, what happens when things change. When in Minnesota, it's cold and, um, and snow is on the ground, we know that soon there'll be new life. Where the trees are blooming, it's beautiful, the air is beautiful, um, feeling good to our, our, our skin, recognizing um, the fullness of, of life, death, and even resurrection. Um, so if we can talk about death in a deep way, if we can talk about other losses and disappointments and other things that hurt, if we can talk about death, um, then we can talk about what it takes to have a good life. And so again, rethinking our understanding of death, even in this pandemic, someone said to me just recently, um, new things are being revealed. And so what, how then do we reveal a newer understanding of what, what the circle of life is about and how then do we have in the times that are so precious, a good life? Might I suggest um, that we might embrace some propositions, okay? Um, Nope. <laughs> okay. It's not on that power. Okay. I, okay. Transparency here. I have a big presentation and Daniel and I had to cut down some of the pieces. And so this is um, a piece that I did want to include, but it was just too long to put on the PowerPoint. So I'm going to um, suggest that there are certain prepositions that we might want to consider um, as we think about death and life. Um, so the first one is, I am a person with a life of my own, um, with a personal existence. I belong to a class of beings, one of which attribute is mortality. Using the intellectual process of logical deduction, I conclude that my personal death is a certainty. There are many possible causes of my death, and these causes might operate in many different combinations. Although I might overcome or evade one particular cause, I cannot overcome or evade all causes. My death will occur in the future. By future, I mean a time to live that has not yet, yet elapsed, a time that I have not previously experienced. I do not know, however, when in the future my death will occur. The event is certain, the timing is uncertain. So if we start to embrace these propositions, maybe the sting of death um, will not sting as much. Again, the complication of it though, is the untimeliness and some of the other circumstances that surround, surround 
the death of a loved one, such as this virus, the unpredictability of this virus, and um, not being maybe informed in a timely manner that this is, this is happening, how then do we deal with the untimeliness of death, which makes death um, a little bit more complicated. Again, part of the proposition is death is a final event. Uh, my life ceases. That means that I will never again think or act or at least as a human being on this earth. Accordingly, death is the ultimate separation of myself from the world. Therefore, I know I will die. And so that's, um, gets to, to be scary. But if we embrace the fact that yes, we will die, then how then do we live? time stops. So we can go back to that piece where time does stop. Um, yes. And um, we don't know what the future is. But, um, and so the difficulty with death, as I said, if, diff if death implies emptiness or silence, we try to find ways to fill that void with our own understanding and inter interpretation of what it means. Our perceptions that which we think we know do not truly bridge the gap. The deadness is perceived from the outside only what it feels like um, is to feel what it feels like not to feel eludes us. We can't make sense out, out of it. Furthermore, under certain certain circumstances, we are liable to misinterpret our perceptions. We do not know what death is like, and that frightens us. But as we says, if we embrace the fullness of life and life in Jesus the Christ, then we ask, as um, was written by Paul, death will not have as much of a stain. Earlier I said that we are death doulas and so um, you are walking with someone, I'm looking at my slide. So when you're walking with someone in their pain of, of the loss, the separation of someone um, that you've you've loved. And so as pastors and leaders, we are called to a creative space, an imaginative space where the presence of the divine is approached in the silence, in the absence, in the pain unspeakable. Pastoral care providers and theologians are called into this reality and the messiness of experiences in the world where formulated constructions too often fail us. We like, because we're human, we try to make sense out of it too. It's not easy to make sense of something we've not experienced. And so our role then is to walk with a person, again, in the silence, in the absence, 
and in the pain unspeakable. Because what's happening is persons are seeking to search for that lost object, that lost experience, that lost presence. And we're searching for understanding in a way, in, for a new way of being in the world uh, without the person that has been lost. Part of the issue too is that sometimes we don't understand the grief process and I can do a whole course on the grief process um, um, because in fact it is a process. It's a process in which the deep feelings aroused by the loss are acknowledged and relatively fully oops, expressed. Sometimes we don't express them. Sometimes we have different ways of expressing our, our grief. And so acknowledging the variety of ways of expressing grief um, needs to be um, recognized. But what happens when one cannot fully acknowledge the loss? Um, that's where we are in, especially with the, when we can't go to the hospital, when we can't have the funeral the way that we experienced it um, in the past, where we had loved ones to support us. What happens when that loss is not fully acknowledged? That's where um, the, and I don't like to use this word, but the abnormality of grief um, occurs. Um, it's, that the con it's, that it's the result of sometimes not having the ability to grieve or not having people to walk with us when we're grieving. Um, the abnormality of grief is a consequence of the refusal sometimes to grieve or the inability of the grieving person to find those who are willing to care during the grieving process. And that's where you come in. How then do you walk with someone during the grieving process? Knowing that um, the person, particularly if the person is a member of your congregation or a member of the community who is um, related to a church or, um, or faith tradition, part of the things one needs to consider is what is their sense of who God is? What scripture do you use for sensing who God is, how God functions, and how God functions, especially as it relates to grief and loss, death and dying? Um, not only are you doing this with the person that you're walking with, but as I teach my students, you have to know your own theology. What is your sense of God? What scripture do you use for sensing who God is? And especially when there's um, grief and loss, death and dying. Might I say that grief um, is experienced in a variety of ways. Um, and so again, going back, you can go for it. Um, especially as we, as many of us are pastors or leaders, <laughs> um, we need to um, um, understand who, again, who their God is. Um, there's a book called Taking on the Gods where persons um, 
persons are, have is expressed that there are different gods that people acknowledge, not just God with a big G, but God with a little G. And so taking on the gods I'm suggesting is that we spend a lot of time listening to hear who their gods are um, and to understand their, the role of religion in their life, um, how family and religion interrelates their, again, their theology and their interpretation and the interrelatedness of life and death. Beverly, I've got a question for you. Yes. Um, in, um, so it's an interaction between our theology of, of death mm -hmm. and the person or even the family member's theology of death, right? And mm -hmm. so how, um, I'll say how, in the sense of how do we, what's our role in helping people when their theology seems to be problematic in this time? Well, what I tell, uh, I'm glad you interrupted me because I want to get away from the script that I have here. Because um, again, the way I normally teach is very relational. And so um, I, I talk with people and so that's, that's what um, is important. And then I listen to people. So what I'm doing is modeling what I would do if someone's theology is different from mine. One is I bracket my own um, theological perspectives so that I can hear them. How are they making sense of who God is in their life? What is going on with them that they see God in a particular way? What's going on with their, you know, how were they raised in a family of origin um, where God was perceived in a particular way? And so hearing them, listening to them relevant to how they experience God um, is the beginning part of that. Um, in one of these slides, I, I talk about um, the functions of pastoral care. Some of you who've been in seminary, I don't know if it's on there, um, but I can, I can send a handout. Um, there are functions of pastoral care, which is, what is it? Nurturing, guiding, sustaining, um, um, nurturing, guiding, sustaining, reconciling. So, the, so in raising that question with them about who they understand who God is, what you're doing is reconciling them back to God by having them, um, and you might, in your, your pastoral conversation, have them hear too a little bit of your understanding of God, of God so that maybe in the, the healthy dialogue, you can um, help them hear a different way of experience who God is. Thank you. Um, we've got a question here from Stephanie. Um, okay. Hi, Stephanie. It's related, I think it's in the chat. It seems to me that grief is, at least initially, channeled into pathways, sitting Shiva or the Lutheran equivalents of it with casseroles or a funeral, etc. Mm. How do we facilitate grief when those pathways are not available to us? Okay. And it's real interesting. I was, I, I, I'm addicted to MSNBC. I'm sorry. I am. Um, and so, um, 
I heard one of the medical experts say, you know, being creative in opening up the, the hair salons and stuff like that. It's like, how are you going to be creative? Well, we're going to have to find ways of being creative in this time um, where we might, um, as the other day, I, I ordered pizza. And so with the guy who brought the pizza stood, um, set the, um, the box outside, I had to open up the box myself to, to get my pizza. We may have to be creative in, in those ways. Um, and then helping people in our conversations, finding ways in conversation to help them process this time. What's going on with them? Where, where the rituals, those things that um, they were so used to are not the same. Again, going back, everything must change. Um, we, things are not gonna be status quo as they were in the past. Mm -hmm. And so how then do we help? The question for me then is how the, do, then do we help in our preaching and our teaching, which is to me pastoral care, um, helping them to, to recognize that things do change. Um, not easy in the midst of it, but it's, ne it's necessary for us to recognize that things are not gonna be the way that they used to be or how we've experienced it. And they probably never were, but we've took it for granted that um, things were gonna be um, easy going, you know, didn't have to think about it. So now to be able to think about how, um, how we interact with other people, how we love other people and how we care for other people and walk with them, especially during the, the transition from life to death. Um, new rituals will have to be formed. And I think this is something that, you know, we can, um, as a collective, do something different. Um, um, that's going to be life affirming and life, not necessarily in the bodily life, but life in the sense of, of um, bringing energy and, um, I'm going to use this word reconciliation to our understanding of who God is and how we are to be in relationship with God and God's people. Great. Um, mm -hmm. I've got one more kind of follow up on this. You know, you talk about everything must change. We are, you know, and yet there are things that, that remain the same and that we can count on. And, and yet those are the things that we need to struggle with. So in, a, in the grieving process, in a pastoral care setting, dealing with death, I mean, how is, what's the dialogue look like with the grieving to say what, you know, what can't change here? Like, how do we be creative together with what is important and what must happen versus what can't happen? You know, because okay. The love of that person um, is, is is a constant, the understanding of what that love is may be interpreted anew. And so how then do we um, take the time and the opportunity to, to really think through even what our relationship was with the person that um, has passed away or who, who died, I'm using the language, who has died. Um, 
and every you know in every day that understanding that unraveling of a, a relationship that we've taken for granted um, it's going to take on new nuances and so to affirm um, where a person is at a particular moment um, helping them also in in the teaching moment recognize again your your sense of who this person is is going to you're going to you're going to see some some new um, aspects of who they are what they meant to you at a particular you know as your grief process continues thanks for listening to faithful adaptation an audio series from luther seminary stay up to date on our faith lead conversations and see upcoming guests in the series Join the Faith Lead Learning Laboratory, the social network for Christian leaders to connect and share at faithlead.mn.co. Thanks for joining us.